0: Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guests by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlet, and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. And hi, everybody, this is Marnie Sledberg. Welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends, and we're going to be talking today about how to obtain maximum employee return on investment ROI. During this hour with our special guest today, Esther Hunter, you're going to discover how to ensure that each employee feels a sense of belonging, how to create and set the best type of atmosphere for ROI and have it permeate the whole organization a key to communicating your vision so others can understand and embrace it too, the one thing you and only you can do, why you must give space for creativity and how to do this in the work environment, the role of reciprocity in improved ROA, the two things you can do to increase value, and how to be the leader that others want to follow. Esther Hunter, our guest today, is an inspirational speaker and author with over 15 years of experience igniting passion into her audiences and giving strategic leadership insight. She's gifted to encourage leaders to train innovators, and you can learn more about her over at womenspeakers.com.
1: Welcome to you, Esther. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you, Marnie.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you here, too, and we're we're going to focus today, focus on, on how to obtain maximum employee ROI. And, you know, there's a big difference between um, employing people and maximizing
1: their ROI. And, like, yes. when,
0: did you, when did you start thinking about something like that?
1: Well, you know, because we're talking about it from a biblical perspective, I'm always thinking along those lines, even as it relates to business. And when you think from a biblical perspective, God doesn't um, assign value to us just based upon what we do for him, but it's based upon who we are. So when we talk about return on investment, that means that um, each person that comes on staff with you is actually an investment sewn into your organization that God has made. And so um, Mm. that's when I kind of started shifting my my concept about it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and for those of you who are listening who maybe don't hire people but you have volunteer groups or whatever, all of this applies because it's just really any time that you're working with people who are reporting to you or or under your leadership, this is the time when you have the opportunity to really make a, a difference in their lives and their experience. So let's dive in by talking first about how to ensure that everybody on your team feels a sense of belonging.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way, um, place to start because when you think about when a person comes to your organization, if you could think about that new employee, that new staff member, um, one of the things that sets the pace for how they will feel about their organization moving forward is if they feel a sense of acceptance. And so if they feel accepted, then that means that um, they will have a sense of belonging, because if you accept me, that means I belong here. And so in order to create that kind of atmosphere, I'm thinking about specifically in Proverbs, where he says God made everything with a place and a purpose. And so if that person has been placed in the organization, based upon their skill set, wherever they are placed, They're properly aligned. It's important to welcome them into that place and to uh, let them know that they're accepted. Um, Marnie, one of the things that I think about too, because we live in such a culturally diverse work, we have such a culturally diverse workforce now, it's very important um, for employers to do some research about the people that they're bringing into the organization. Um, Have someone in the interview process do a thorough research about that person's culture because people perceive acceptance based upon the language that they understand. In other words, the cultural language that they understand. And so being um, strategic about that, And incorporating that insight into your integration process, Um, that's one of the biggest ways, I think, that a person can gain a sense of belonging. Can you give an example of that? Uh, Yeah. So say, for instance, you have someone who um, here in the United States who grew up in the South and they spent most of their their life in the Southern states. Well, there's a certain climate and a certain culture that people in the southern states have it's the way that they communicate um it's the way that they show acceptance it's the way that they show value um one of the specific things is most places if you go to states like alabama and georgia mississippi and say you're walking along the sidewalk if you walk past someone without saying hello most of the time they think something's wrong and so down south you don't have to know a person to say hello to them and to be welcoming But if you take that same person and you put them, say, in San Francisco or New York, and uh, that person from New York um, is not accustomed to or from San Francisco is not accustomed to having someone that they don't know reach out to them in that way. Their defense is up. So the culture around them says, myself, I need to be more defensive. And so that's one of the things that you need to understand about the person that you're bringing into your organization what makes up their cultural language, and how do they? How might they perceive acceptance? And so, when you reach out, it's important to reach out and welcome them, but it should be um, very strategic, and it should be in a way that you know what they would they would interpret that as acceptance.
0: I was just working with one of our newer people today, and I was talking to her about the. The learning curve, when you have a new position, when you're with a new company or whatever, it just takes a little while to get your feet under you and you feel very... unstable like almost on a boat Mm -hmm. or something like oh you know like the ground shifting underneath you and you just wish you could settle it down and make it be okay and I think just as a you know as a team leader or manager to 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 recognize that verbally to your new staff people that this is normal for you to you know to feel like this and it's going to get so much easier and even you know at our businesses we I have a timeline for them where I can say you know uh, two weeks from now or two months from now, you're going to feel completely confident doing this work, you know? And that kind of helps yes. them to put it in perspective.
1: Yes, yes, and that is that is such a great point. Um, I think any a person is new in a place, it always helps if they have someone who kind of walks them through the organization, if you will, answers their questions, and brings them on board Excuse me, so that they feel like and they understand that the people around them aren't expecting them to know the culture of the place and to know how everything flows. But there's someone to help guide them and help walk them along that process. Some people might need a little bit more hand holding than others, um, but you you are great in saying that you give them um a time frame in which they should expect to feel like, Hey, this is my place, this is my spot.
0: Yeah. It is
1: it's tough to be new. <laughs> We were talking about that earlier.
0: It stinks, it stinks to be new. <laughs> All
1: right, So let's
0: talk about how uh, how a manager can can create and set a good atmosphere for
1: ROA and have it really permeate the whole organization. You know, I love this. I love this particular point um, because I think how we perceive things as leaders that our perception has a way of filtering down the organization. So if a leader is is looking for the best way to set the atmosphere um, in the organization to, to what they ideally would expect it to be, is they have to look for the good that's already happening in the organization and look for the good in their staff. If you look for the good, you'll find it. And then the next step would be to verbalize that good that you've perceived. Tell the Tell the staff members, um, you know, you're a fabulous team of people. You're you're an awesome group to work with. You show courage. You demonstrate loyalty. And so you have to verbalize the good that you see. And that tends to permeate the organization. What you say has so much power. In, in, in other words, what you say has the power to bring life or to bring death. And so if you mm-hmm. say that this organization is an excellent organization. We operate at optimal professionalism. We're courteous to, to each other. We show kindness. Um, those are the ways that you set the atmosphere, and that permeates your organization. And um, some practical ways, I think, to do that is um, along with putting signage up in your office that reaffirms what you've spoken at staff meetings, these are things that should be said openly to the staff so that they can hear you um, talk about the good that you see in an organization and in them. Along with putting up signage, I think because we live in such a tech-savvy world, it wouldn't hurt to send out text messages to the group, to group text messages, or whatever means uh, you use, whatever el- electronic means you use, by apps or whatever, to say to your staff, um, this is a great team of people, you work very well together. I love the synergy that we have. And so those are some practical ways.
0: Hmm. I know one of the things that I am always doing when I bring in a new staff member is to sit, to verbalize. I'm so excited to have you part of this team. It is an amazing team, and you're just going to just make it all that much better. And to just use words like team and part of, yes. uh, you know what you what you model in those you know
1: in those moments goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, Marnie, I think I. I thinking specifically about a situation that I encountered um, as a speaker and um, a gentleman that was a world-renowned speaker um, who I met and had an opportunity to engage with. And one of the things that stood out to me about him was that he was so approachable. I mean, he had had probably 40 best-selling books, New York Times best-selling books, phenomenal person. But his, his approachability, his, his warmness, his smile, um, uh, the way that he reached out to me uh, spoke volumes to me. It was as if I had been mentored in that one moment for five, ten years by him because of how much he was willing to impart to me, but he was very approachable. He was kind. Um, he, he was very firm about certain things, but he was, he was kind about it. And so I think that as a leader – the positive energy that we spread or the positive energy that we release speaks volumes about us and it speaks volumes about our organization. And any new staff person or a staff member that has been there long standing um, will begin to embrace that, and that's what they will demonstrate, and that's how it saturates the organization. It starts from leadership and it filters into the organization.
0: It totally always does. You know, the buck stops here. That's the thing. That's the, that's the fact of it. And what you uh, what you do is speak louder than your words, and so make sure that you know that people are watching you all the time. The authenticity has to flow from the start to the finish with the leader. We're going to come right back and talk about the key to communicating your vision so others can understand and embrace it. And the one thing you and only you can do, we'll be right back. ever need a guest speaker or maybe you're a speaker who's available to go check out womenspeakers.com the largest online directory of christian women speakers in the world since 2002 connecting thousands of planners with over 1300 speakers speakers are available to you from every state denomination experience level and fee range you simply search when you have time anytime day or night and connect directly with the speakers that interest you no middlemen no hidden fees it's all simple easy enjoyable and online check it out today at womenspeakers.com that's www.womenspeakers.com Welcome back. This is Marnie, and of course, our guest today is one of our speakers over at womenspeakers.com. Our guest today is Esther Hunter, and you can find her profile there at womenspeakers.com. Esther, let's go ahead and talk about the key to communicating your vision. And this is really so important because it's one thing to be very clear about where you want to go and how you want to do it. It's a whole other thing to have others want to help you, want to get on board and really help you achieve that goal. So let's talk about how to help create that vision for others.
1: Yes. I think, um, as you said, clarity is very important, but I think one of the key things um, that helps you to communicate that is your passion. If you're passionate about it, if you passionately articulate your vision, if you passionately articulate what you expect, um, what you perceive, has to be articulated in such a passionate way that your passion becomes contagious. And then your staff will in turn become passionate about fulfilling their part to make it happen. And so clarity is great. Clarity is important. But that clarity has to come across in such a passionate way that you're moving in a direction and you want to take everybody with you there. And so passion Mm. is a powerful, powerful part of that. How does a
0: leader uh, express passion without becoming um, a little uh, <laughs> uh, demanding and over the top?
1: <laughs> well, I think, I think enthusiasm and excitement is a part of that passion, but passion can be released in different ways. Um, passion has, has to have tagged along with it persistence. And so, um, in other words, you have to be consistent and persistent about what it is that you want to accomplish. And so people will perceive that passion if you keep that in front of them. If you're constantly doing things um, to say to them, this is where we're going, this is how we're going to get there, and we're going to do it, we're going to be happy about it, we're going to be excited about it, Um, communicating that um, in your actions, communicating that in your words, communicating that in how you interact with the staff, your expectations of them communicate your passion. And so if you give people assignments and you give them um, goals to achieve, your expectations, expectations that are high within reach for them, but also expect them to reach beyond um, the minimum, um, that communicates passion because it's saying to them, we're expecting to get somewhere and we're not um, we're not going to be slothful about it. We're going to put energy behind this. And so I think that's, that's some of the ways that you can communicate that passion.
0: It seems to me, too, that um, the, the message needs to be woven in multiple times, multiple ways. Um, yeah. So we're doing this. And years ago I, I read a study, and I don't know where it was, but years ago I read the study that if you use the word because, people are like way more likely to do what you ask them to do than if you just tell right. them what to do. And so when you when you have a clear vision and you know how to communicate it, then you're always going to be putting a because on. So I'd like you to do this and have it done by this time because, and then you're going to weave your vision and your mission back into that for them so that they can understand how this actually helps. You know, I'm the kind of person, Esther, I don't know how about you, but I'm the kind of person who really needs to understand why I'm supposed to do something. I just have a hard time to just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, And it helps me a lot, that because piece. I
1: think that is so good because especially if you're dealing with people who are innovative and tend to have um, great leadership skills themselves, we like to understand the why. In all of our giving, we want to get understanding. Because that understanding gives me a reason for why I'm passionate. It gives me a reason for why I'm doing it. Other than the fact that because you told me so, that's good. That communicates your authority. But when you say because... Or when you give an explanation, it means that I want you to understand it. I want you to own it. I want you to take it in not as just my vision, but I want you to take it in as a part of what you're supposed to accomplish. And so understanding is very important. So that because is the link to understanding. And I think most people tend to respond to an invitation more uh, readily than they do a demand. And so it's easy to say, this is what I want done and I want it done by this time, and this is where we're going, um, and I want you to help me get there. But if you say because it gives a purpose, it shows the purpose for what we're doing. And as human beings, we want to see the purpose for what we're doing. We want to make sure that what we're doing has meaning and that it's going to be lasting. And so I think that's a great point to tell people the why behind what they're doing. It's a great thing
0: and I think it's gotten more important with our younger generation too, uh, they are less likely than uh, people my age at least to do things just for the sake of doing the right thing. Uh, they really want to know why. <laughs> so yeah. why would you have me do that? <laughs> okay, so let's talk, about, let's talk about the one thing that you and only you can do.
1: The, the one thing that you and only you can do is set a vision and articulate that vision. It's your vision. It's, you, it's what you see. It's your purpose behind uh, what you're doing. And you are the only one who can articulate that vision with the greatest clarity. And so I think that as leaders, we have to understand how important it is for us to be, if you will, um, in the face of the people. In other words, I don't mean in your face in a negative way. I mean you have to be the one saying this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. And so only you can articulate that. You can delegate authority to people to accomplish parts of the vision, but you ultimately should have the blueprint. You should have um, uh, concept and ideas and, and uh, insight about what it is that your organization is to accomplish on a greater level than the people that uh, you're delegating authority to. And so you're the only one who can communicate that and, and communicate it in just its purest form. Uh, so working with teams of people to help you um, create innovative ways to to help others visualize that is great. It's great to have an awesome ID team. It's great to have people who are gifted with um, design capabilities. But you have the vision and the blueprint on the inside of you, and only you can articulate that.
0: Yeah, I I really like to, and I don't know about you, Esther, with your team, I like to um, differentiate between what I can train And things that only I can do. And so a lot of that ends up being, like you say, the vision obviously is, you know, that that piece of it's so critical. But then even beyond that, there's things that only I can do and have it turn out a certain way. You know what I mean? If If I delegate some of the work, anybody could do it, including me, anybody could do it. It would just be perfectly fine. Nobody would ever notice any difference. But there's Mm -hmm. some of the work that really, if you pass it off, if you as the leader pass it off, the outcome is not going to be the same. It's going to change the trajectory of the business or the ministry or whatever you're doing. And you have to keep on asking yourself, you know, is this one of those things or is this one of the things that I can and probably should be delegating because most of the business leaders that I work with, Esther, have a hard time to delegate. They they think that they are critically yeah. important to every <laughs> single thing, <laughs> and it's not true. There are things that yes. really you can and should delegate so that you are free to um, keep on leading, keep on keep on setting setting the pace out front. So how do you Absolutely. how do you decide, how do you how do you differentiate that for yourself?
1: And so there are certain aspects of the vision that you have that you may not have in detail spoken to others, but you comprehend um, in your own unique way what it is that should be on the face of the organization. is what you represent. And I like to say it this way, no one can outdo you being you. And Mm -hmm. so you have to look at all of the different aspects of your business, of, of your organization or ministry, and see those things that pull it all together and look at, it, look at it from a perspective of, could someone else represent what I see in this particular aspect of it just as well as I can or, or you know, at that level? And if the answer is no, that means that's something only you can do. And you have to be, I think, I think it's important for leaders to be in some ways hands-on and in other ways hands-off. And what I mean by that, just as you said, there are certain things that you delegate because people have different talents, skills, and abilities. We are not all encompassing as leaders. No one has it all. And so that's why we connect and we network and we form teams is because each person brings a part of what it takes to make it happen. But looking at it from the perspective of could someone else stand in this place and articulate what I see? If it isn't something that that someone else can articulate the way that you see it, then that's something that only you can do, and that should never be delegated to someone else because ultimately you'll, you'll be critical of the person that you de- delegated it to because they're not you. <laughs> and so um, if someone calls for Marnie and they ask for Marnie, then Marnie is who they want. On the other hand, if they call for Esther and they ask for Esther, an Esther one, and Esther's who they want, uh, and they've looked at the different aspects of what you bring, and they decide, this is what I need. And so as a leader, you have to look at the different aspects of what um, makes your organization work and, and understand that you are the only one who fits in that spot, whatever it might be. And it's different for different groups. It's different for different organizations and different ministries.
0: Kind of interesting years ago, I was at a major women's conference, and the gal um, it was a Joyce Myers conference. And Joyce Myers ended up um, one of the sessions not being able to talk, she just had no voice. <laughs> and so um, she got up and she croaked out, You know, basically, I'm so sorry, I have no voice. And she said, I'm here in case God would give me my voice before it's time to begin, but I still have no voice. <laughs> So um, my assistant over here is going to come and speak. So what happened in that next few moments was that about maybe one-fifth or so of the audience stood up and left. And it was really amazing to me. I thought, wow, as if God could only speak through Joyce Myers and not speak through her assistant. You know, it's funny to me how people reacted to that choice and the choice that they made in response to it. But it was Mm -hmm. a really eye-opening situation for me where I thought, wow, when people, like you say when they want something, they want what they want. And if you're going to delegate in a business, so in a business, if you've been doing it all hands-on, face-to-face with the customers, and then you disappear into a back office and you delegate that to someone else, there's going to be a ripple effect that happens there, and you should expect Mm -hmm. that, and it may be worth it. But you do need to know that Um, if you set an expectation or somehow there is that expectation, there will probably be some fallout when you change it up a little bit. Do you have a thought on that?
1: I do have a thought on that. I think that's a, a great point because there are certain things that, especially if you're starting in ministry or starting in business and you might not have all of the people that you can delegate things to or the resources to delegate to different organizations to assist you, then you might start out doing it all. And doing it to the best of your ability and building that uh, rapport with clients, with customers, and with people, and they get used to you and they get accustomed to working only with you. But as you expand, you have to begin to separate the things that should be delegated um, that you were doing just because of the circumstances separate those things out, and then be willing to accept the fallout if people fall out. You know, I think the analogy that you gave with Joyce Myers was really great. She's a powerful and a dynamic speaker. And always think about the fact that each one of us has a unique gift. Um, There's a deposit that is made into our lives, into our hearts, because of our personal unique experiences. And when we are, especially as speakers, talking to people, that is conveyed in what we give out. So I can't borrow your experiences and release the fruit of what you gained in that experience when I'm speaking, and so part of my speaking has to do with things that are uh, common to all that everybody can reach. But there's a there's an invisible part of it, Marnie, that is the mm-hmm. essence of who you are that you release in what you do, and so mm-hmm. sometimes when people come to events and they um, engage with your organization what they're really experiencing is the essence of who you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there's a disappointment if that expectation isn't met. Right. Yeah, and
0: hopefully hopefully for those of us who have Christ in our lives, they're experiencing the essence of Christ through who we are. And that uh, that, that is... That is a beautiful, a beautiful release and a beautiful thing that is truly uniquely to each of us because we He has created us each so differently. Well, we're going to take a little break and come right back and talk about why you must give space for creativity and how to do it, and also the role of reciprocity in a pr- improved ROI. We'll be right back. Are you ready to experience your best life possible and share biblical success principles with others? Register for the SPI Coach Certification Program today. SPI, or SPI, stands for Success Principles Intensive. It's a six hour online program that equips you to fully comprehend and train biblical success principles. You can check it out today over at Marnie.com. It's available as part of the mentorship program, or you can buy it as a standalone certification program. Learn more now at Marnie.com. That's M A R N I E.com. Welcome back. We are visiting today with our guest, Esther Hunter, and we're talking about focus, how to obtain maximum employee ROI. So, Esther, just for the sake of it, let's just spend a minute, and what are some of the positive benefits of maximizing
1: employee ROI? Um, The positive benefits of maximizing employee ROI is that you really do get um, the greatest results when you give people face. Uh, So maximizing employee ROI means, in other words, say, for instance, you went to the store and you purchased uh, an item. You assigned a value to that item. The store assigned a value to it. That value was assigned based upon a dollar amount. When you looked at the item and decided to get it, you assigned value to it and said it's worth that amount. And so in order to get the maximum of what the person is bringing to the organization, it's very, very important that you create space for creativity, that you give space for creativity. Um, One of the things that I was thinking about is that each person um, who comes to an organization, a ministry or business, they're coming with potential, they're coming with ideas, and believe it or not, they're coming with solutions. And so all of that is locked inside of that person until they have the liberty to release it in the space that you give them to release it. And so if you have a staff member who is innovative and um, they won't stay long in place that isn't conducive to their growth, especially in this generation now because with technology and social media um, and the emerging of entrepreneurs, people are seeking ways to release their gifts and release their abilities um, because as, as as creatures of of of, uh, inspiration, people who have gifts and talents. We don't want to be limited in a world that shows us limitless possibilities. So within the context of our organizations, it's important that leaders create space, give people the opportunity to demonstrate their potential uh, within the guidelines of what your organization is about. And so I I think sometimes, too, I would like to say this morning that a lot of times as leaders, leaders tend to seek to harness the talents uh, of the people that come to work for them. But if we seek to release their talents and expect them to bring solutions, because that's why you're hiring them. You hire them to be the solution to a certain part of what you're trying to accomplish. And so if that is acknowledged and you create space for it, People will go beyond the limits in uh, demonstrating the potential that they have. And in that, you gain maximum return on your investment in them. You're investing a salary into that person. You're investing benefits into that person. And you want to maximize that, but in order to maximize it, you have to give them the freedom to, to be creative.
0: Hmm. That's really good. I really like the phrase um, release versus harness. Talents. That's such, a, you know, and and it's really uh, you, you, unless you really think about it, you don't you don't really realize that there's a big difference there. But there is a huge difference there. And I like yeah. to use the phrase um, with my teams, I like to use the phrase. I want to empower you to succeed. So what that means is that the parameters are very clear, the timelines are very clear, the uh, you know uh, the. You know, expenses, you could, you can spend this much is very clear, uh, so that somebody actually has the opportunity to succeed. One of the worst things that we can do for, especially a new person or someone in a new position, is to say, you know, we really want to just release you to to um y- you know share your ideas and potential with everybody, and then slam down the first four they give us because it was over budget. <laughs> right. It was you know really. I mean, you know, it's still, mm-hmm. it's it's like right. the worst of both worlds. Now the person gets really excited, and then of course you can't do it that way because they had no idea what the parameters were. So what is a, what is a healthy way to communicate parameters while allowing someone to really um, pursue their potential and share their ideas?
1: I think one of the best things to do is to have those parameters already set up uh, before the person comes into the position so that that, those parameters would be set regardless of who the person is filling the position. So if you have the the parameters, if you have the budget set, if you have whatever your parameters are for that particular position, have it set, but then the how-tos of fulfilling that goal that you've given them, that's where the flexibility comes in because each one of us is different and we process things differently. And so each staff member is going to come, and they're going to bring their skills. They might bring their same – you might have two people who have the same level of education, uh, have the same um, number of years of experience doing something, but the how-to of accomplishing what you want to accomplish will be done differently because they're two unique, different people. So when you bring a person into a position, it's the how-tos that you have to be flexible with and not just have your mind set on you have to do it this way in order for it to be effective. Um, because then you'll yeah. find that a person might be able to do that, but you wouldn't get the maximum potential out of them if you gave them freedom. Mm.
0: Yeah, and then I think the other thing, too, is to recognize that different people do have different skill sets coming in, uh, gift, different gifts and talents, and to go ahead and recognize, oh, okay, this is maybe, um, this is maybe not uh, where you want to be spending your time all the time. And and some people honestly can't see that they don't have a gift or talent, and that, that makes that particular thing a little trickier. But if you, wow. can, if you can get people into the right positions, um, I think it was Wes Stafford, when he was in charge of Compassion, he had told us that what he had learned was that if you could get the right person into the right position, that mm-hmm. you almost all of your problems go away. But if you are trying to get you know, this wonderful person into a position that they can't do, that they aren't equipped to do. It's just really a nightmare and it makes it really painful for everybody on the team as well as for, you know, the person themselves. It just always feels bad, like a misfit
1: or like yeah, they're always yeah. in trouble. <laughs> yes, misery.
0: <laughs> yeah, like that's like the last thing you want to do at work all the time is feel miserable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's so great that when you, as a leader, if you can recognize to, okay, this isn't working for this person. Say you get a person and they're in a position, but it's not really working well. Um, articulating that in a way that uh, that is best for the person and also for the organization is very key. So I think graciousness is a big part of it, but I also think um, being intent about having people in the right place from the beginning is very important, and that takes time. It takes it takes being willing to research um, not just what you want, but the kind of person, the type of personality. Even you know there are so many different um, tools available to us, personality tests and different things that help um, leaders determine the kind of person that would probably best fit in a position, and so you don't have those problems later on if that person isn't really um, wired in that way. So important.
0: I know with, our, with our retail store, it took us a long time to figure out who we really needed. And what we needed was a person who was really almost OCD, I mean just really, really, really detail-oriented. And when we found those people, that worked so well. And when we hired people who were, you know, more fun and laid back and, you know, roll, you know, all going people, boys, uh, it just didn't work. And so, you know, it takes a while sometimes to figure those things out.
1: Yes, yes. And I, and hmm. I think um, it's great. Yeah, that's a great, great point.
0: Hmm. Let's talk about reciprocity. What does it have to do with uh, return on investment?
1: Well, I think um, when we say return on investment, that's, that is the embodiment of reciprocity um, because the very first word, return, means that you gave something and now you want it to be returned. You made an investment and now you want it to be returned. So, in the raw sense of the word reciprocity, it literally means a mutual exchange of privileges. And so, reciprocity is very important. In other words, you give something to your staff members. You give. We talk. We're talking beyond base salary. We're talking salary is the expected thing. That is that is the reward for work, for labor, for for um, what the. Basic minimum of what their job is supposed to be. So when we talk about reciprocity, it brings in an element of: Have you motivated that person to a point, or is that person, does that person feel motivated enough to go above and beyond the minimum requirements of what that salary brings to them? And and do they um, body your vision so much that they want to go above and beyond to make it happen? When you find a person in an organization who does that, who goes beyond the call of duty, who goes above the, the average and says, I'm in this to win it, I want to make this happen, and I'm going to give it all that I have, and that person goes above and beyond, then there should be a mutual exchange of privileges given to that person, some benefits that come to that, because that's how the reciprocity works. It's not just one-sided. It means that if I expect people to come up beyond minimum and I should be willing that when they do to reciprocate by by investing benefits into them, um, mm-hmm. doing things that that are meaningful to that person um, to show them that you appreciate them
0: that can be done in. So many ways, and I know a lot of you are thinking um, it's all about money, but and, and it can be about money, but that can that can be done in so so many ways. Um, some of the things that I'm thinking of, I remember a one time a company that my husband worked for gave him a very large bonus, an unexpected, just a bonus, and he had worked so hard. Um, on this certain project and at the end it was a surprise and it was just like wow that was amazing Um, one time one time I just I just set up with my um, a team leader at one of our businesses I just set up that her dad would come and get her in the middle of the day and take her to lunch and I would cover her shift while she went out and just had a surprise lunch for her birthday so you know i mean you could do this in many many ways it doesn't always have to be money but the fact the fact is like you're saying there has to be and and i think it has to be motivated by gratitude by like i am so grateful for this and when you let that gratitude bubble up you'll have ideas for how you can
1: express that absolutely that's absolutely right and and you bring out a great point because it's one thing to just give out generic rewards that you just give, that you have set aside. It's like having a ton of ink pens, and, you know, an ink pen is what you give out when a person reaches a certain goal. It's kind of a generic thing, but the personalization of the reward makes it even more special, and it serves in turn to even motivate that person further beyond just accomplishing one task, but it now becomes a goal for them to always achieve beyond what the minimum expectations are. And it, it freaks them um, to, it's nothing like um, someone in authority over you showing you how much they value you. And so the the, the detailedness of how you reward is very, very important.
0: Hmm. I remember the first time I recognized uh, that that works both ways. Um, my words of encouragement were very important, but also my words of uh, a reprimand were also very important and uh, I, re- I remember realizing yeah. oh this is this is different now than it was when I was a coworker. Um this is this is felt very differently <laughs> you know you can't just say it and have it received the same way when you're the boss you know you have to be very careful in how you say it but of course on the plus side when you give when you give a kudos or compliments, it's taken more intensely as well, and that's really good. I was thinking about uh, something I'd heard years ago was that the first time you receive a gift of a certain type, you are surprised and delighted. The second time you receive that same gift, you are excited <laughs> and happy. The third time, you kind of begin to expect it, and so yeah. you want to you you want to be careful that you, when you're setting up these um these incentives or these rewards that you don't get into the situation where your your people feel like, Okay, well I got it twice now, I I'll probably always get this on the fifteenth of the month from now on. Right. It shouldn't be something like that. Um that's the paycheck. So you want to you wanna change things up a little bit and, and like you said, you know, the more the more personalized it can be the better. And of course bosses are always busy and it's hard to do that. But if you can if you can you can and you should. <laughs>
1: Yes, and I think that even makes for like you mentioned when you when you have to reprimand when you have to correct if you've shown appreciation people tend to receive correction better they tend to receive oh, a redirection true. and they they receive it better because the it it depersonalizes it if you will it means that you're correcting a behavior or you're correcting um, uh, something that wasn't in alignment with the vision, but the person still feels accepted and valued. And so they're, they're willing to uh, receive the correction uh, much better if that's already established. And I think pacing yourself, as you said, reaffirming that, pacing yourself, pacing how you issue out rewards is very, very important. Um, that's That's all great stuff, great stuff.
0: Well, we're going to take a little break and come back for the two things you can do to increase value and also how to be the leader that others want to follow. We'll be right back. moments right after the show and help me out. I am curious who we're missing. So for example, do you know of any speaker who is missing from womensspeakers.com? Do you know of a guest expert who you'd love to hear me interview on Marnie's Friends? Or maybe you know of a major Christian women's event group that is not yet represented over at womensevents.info. Would you just take a moment after the show, swing over to Marnie.com and use the support link at the bottom of any page to recommend her to us. That would be awesome. I thank you for partnering with me in ministry and God bless your day. Welcome back. We're gearing up for the last segment here on Focus: How to Obtain Maximum Employee ROI with our special guest today, Esther Hunter of WomenSpeakers.com. Esther, let's talk about the two things a leader can do to increase ROI.
1: And to increase ROI in the sense of value, I think the two things, there are two things that stand out to me. The first thing would be to recognize the value that each already brings to the table because this will motivate them to achieve on a higher level. So if you recognize the value that they already have um, and you acknowledge that value, that's going to automatically encourage them to achieve more. And by doing that, recognition is very important You increase the value. I'm reminded of something that one of my mentors used to say. He would say, um, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, then abuse is inevitable. So understanding that person's purpose for being in your organization and recognizing the value that they bring to it um, is very, very important. And I think then the second thing would be to provide training opportunities to sharpen and enhance their skills. Because when you provide training opportunities, that's showing that person, the staff, that you value them, that you're not just about um, reaching a goal, but you're also interested in their personal growth and development. And so in order to increase value, you have to provide training opportunities. You have to give them an opportunity to um, gain some of the things that others have imparted to you. You know, mentorship is very important. So the two things that I would say would be to recognize the value that's there and encourage it, and then also to provide training opportunities to sharpen their skills.
0: I spend a lot of time working with people on their own uniqueness, that you are the only you when God strung together your 3 billion base pair of DNA in a particular way, and that (laughs) you're such a gift to the world, um, just the way you are, that you're you're built so uniquely. And I think that in business and in ministry, it's really, um, it's very, it's intense to take the time to notice how unique everybody is, and some things are just glaringly obvious, but other things mm-hmm. aren't so much so. But when you don't do that, you really do miss out on the gold that's there. You're just taking, you know, it's it is a lot like, um, you know, you have all of this glitter, and then there's a there's gold in there, and you could just um, miss it if you don't yeah. bother that. I, uh, your quote is amazing. I, I want to. Um, I want to think about that some more. If you don't know the use of a thing, abuse is inevitable. Wow, yes, if, if you don't know hard. why God created that person that way, abusing yes. them, trying to make them conform to a mold they were never, never designed to conform to, would be so hard on them and, and it would be inevitable if you didn't take the time to really understand how God made that person. You know, so you you have, you know, you have, like, the application process, the interviewing process, the, you know, the vetting process, all those things you have. Um, What would you say is the most valuable tool for understanding how a person is built, understanding what they really are best
1: at? I think communication. Communication is very, very important. Give the person an opportunity to tell you who they are. Create space for them to express what their expectations are and their aspirations are. Instead of just articulating what it is that you desire and what it is that you want to accomplish and and what you see in the person, allow them to tell you. Because, you know, we know ourselves better than most people know us, (laughs) And if I can communicate that, if I I have open channel communication, it's such a huge thing. Um, It plays into everything else that we've discussed up to this point. Um, I remember, I can give you a practical example. I remember being in an interview one time, and I was in this paneled interview. There were about seven people interviewing me for this particular position. And um, each interviewer, they had given them space for each interviewer to ask me questions and to make comments and um, they went around the entire circle, and everybody asked me the questions they wanted to ask and said everything that they wanted to say. And there was a meeting scheduled right after my interview, probably within 15 minutes to 20 minutes after my interview. At the end of everybody asking me questions, they, uh, the one particular person stood up and said, okay, we're done, we need to get to the next meeting. And as the person being interviewed, I had not been given an opportunity to ask them any question or to make any Mm -hmm. comment. And so I stopped the person at that moment, actually had some questions that I wanted to ask you. (laughs) Because when we bring people into our organization, we often see it as we are choosing them for a spot. But that person is also choosing you or choosing your organization. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't giving space to communicate what's on their mind, who they are and what they expect, then that shows a sense that you don't value them at the level that they should be valued. And so I'm always mindful of that communication. I think will be the biggest thing um, that we can create space for, if you will.
0: I remember a training we took years ago. I was listening to a person's heart instead of just their words um, to try to listen beyond <laughs> just the surfacey response and hear what they're really saying. And I've been noticing on LinkedIn, um, just like earlier this week, I've seen several articles posted just recently about kind of alternative questions to ask people instead of what are your three best strengths and what are your three (laughs) greatest weaknesses. You know, know, all these generic ones. But a lot of it is about story. It's been interesting to me that um, it comes back to story. And if you can get a person to tell you a story, you really do hear a lot more of their heart than you do when they're giving you a list. And it, it, triggers, it triggers a response from a different part of the brain, and you're able to really see a little more deeply into that person. And so I love that, communicating for the intention and for the motivation of best, um, best understanding. person may or may not be a good fit for your organization, and even for people you already have in there. So how do you, how do you become the leader that people want to follow?
1: <laughs> you show them what you expect from them by demonstrating that to them. And so if you expect a um, professional, well-tempered team, then you have to demonstrate professionalism and even and even temperament um, in those situations, you know. You have to reject passivity and, and be bold, um, yet yeah, be appreciative. You know, I think those are key things that you have to do as a leader. If you, if you want something from people, the best way is to lead by example. If you expect integrity, if you expect honesty, if you expect timeliness, you have to demonstrate that um, to the people because that communicates your expectations on a very practical level. And so I think you have to realize that you didn't just uh, come into the place, but you represent the place as a leader. And so by you being the the main representation of the organization, then leadership by example only hurts. And I'm reminded of something, a phrase that I heard many years ago, is that people see you before they hear you most of the time. Hmm. And so you may have a staff person, um, a new staff person, or someone who's been in the organization for a while or in the ministry or whatever it is that you have going who are watching you, and they're, they're watching you for the purpose of observing what this organization really is all about. And so if you're, if you're a person who tends to be impatient and um, demanding, then that, uh, that projects to the people, especially the leaders under you, that this is the manner in which you want them to behave. And so in leadership, whether we, whether we want to embrace that truth or not it is a reality that our example is the biggest thing that people see from us are we perfect no but if, if I want someone to be merciful and gracious with my imperfections then I have to demonstrate that to the staff to, to um, the ministry team or whoever it is that you're working with so example being that example um, hmm. is the best way that I believe people will follow you if they believe that you 're authentic
0: yeah, another way to another way to say it is a servant leader where you um, you are willing to to lead by example to actually show people how to how to do it. One of the things when we owned the restaurant, I would oftentimes if I walked in and it was busy, and um, everybody was busy doing stuff, and I didn't really want to interrupt them, but I didn't really want to stand around and watch them while they worked, but I couldn't really get in <laughs> and help them. I would oftentimes just start doing a menial job, like washing the dishes or something like that, until they were free to talk to me. And one of the things that it really modeled, it was it just modeled my willingness to do whatever I was asking them to do. I was willing to do it. I couldn't always do it and still run the business, but I was willing to do it, and um, it, it it is that type of a that type of a willingness that people are looking for. That you're not just always going to be bossing them around, but that you're also willing and you understand what it takes to do that work and that um, it's reasonable. That it's reasonable work. And I think the other thing is earlier too. You know, um, we talked about you know finding out who the person is. People want to follow a leader who's really going to bring out the best in them and it's not yes. going to be torture yeah. it, it, you know it might be hard work like training for the olympics is hard work <laughs> but the coaches there are bringing out the best in the person instead of having them do work that they can't possibly succeed at you know and i think it's just a lot there if this hour has flown by we're just about ready oh to be done God. here do you have i know do you have a do you have a closing thought or maybe a, a favorite bible verse that you have for life
1: Yes, and I think the biggest thing that we should do as leaders is communicate to people that we respect them and we value them for who they are, not just for what they do. That would be the main thing that I would like to leave with our audience today, is to Mm -hmm. see value, assign value, not just because of what a person does, but because of who they are. Psalms 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, each person has limitless value. And so recognizing that and affirming that, that would be my closing thought.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well,
1: this is Marnie Swedberg. Thank you for being here. Us we've
0: loved having you today on our show. And I hope you come back to Yeah. And, of course, thank you all for being here today. Can't have a radio show without listeners. And so thank you for coming. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Be sure to check out all the resources over at Marnie.com, speakers.com, and also info. And also this time of year, of course, Bible Study Expo is coming around the bend. So check that out, too, at biblestudyexpo.com. See you next time. Have a great day.
1: Bye-bye.